Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. Well, I want to continue uh, to share with you this teaching on sitting with Jesus. Sit with me. It's the invitation of a lifetime. And some of the things that we've gone over in Ephesians chapter two, verse six, um, the Bible says that he raised us up with him. He raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to realize something and I want you to understand something. Some of the things that we've talked about in the last two or three weeks is when you understand that you're seated with Christ is going to give you a whole new perspective. It's going to change how you look at things. It's going to change the angle at which you look at things. It's going to change your point of view. It's going to change uh, what you're focused on. Your perspective is going to become great. You're going to have a great perspective, a great point of view when you take your seat and realize you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The other thing we talked about was you're not going to have to fight to belong. You're going to have a sense of belonging when you know that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We talked about insecurity and and overcoming insecurity and how insecurity is that gap in our lives between that gap between who who we are and who who God said we are and who we actually feel like we are, what God wants in our lives and what we're actually experiencing in our lives. That gap is what creates insecurity, that gap between you praying and you receiving. This is this feeling of insecurity when we've been abused, when we've been hurt, when we've been rejected, when we've been damaged, when somebody has uh, uh, affected our lives or or hurt our lives or the mistakes that we make. We see this. We feel this hole inside of us that makes us feel like we don't belong, makes us feel rejected. It makes us feel like we don't have a place at the table. We've got to earn it through something we do. We've got to pay for it. We've got to trade for it. We've got to we've got to um, do something to get God's approval and to be accepted by people. But the fact is, is when you realize you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, you come to a place where you're not fighting for a seat anymore. You're not fighting to belong anymore. You're not you're not doing anything to belong. You have a peace that passes understanding because you know that you are seated. You know that Jesus has seated you with him. He where is he seated? He's at the right hand of the father. And where are we? We're seated right there with him. That is our spirit position and you say, well, how come I'm not experiencing that in my earthly life? Because you because you don't experience it in your earthly life until you're convinced of it in your mind. You see your spirit, you're made up of three parts. We're made up of spirit, soul and body. When you get born again, it's your spirit that gets born again. Your body doesn't get born again. Don't you wish it did? Come on, who's with me on that? Your body doesn't get born again and your soul, your mind, your the heart, the, the mind to think, the heart to feel, the will to choose. The soul is not born again. The spirit is born again, but the soul is transformed by the renewing of your mind, by understanding what Jesus did for you and understanding how God thinks about you and understanding what God's really like and what you're really like. So when you read the Bible, we're not reading about the things we have to do. We're reading about who we really are. We're looking in the mirror, the image of who God made us to be. The moment we're born again, we're made remade, reborn in the image of God. We look like Adam and Eve before they sinned after Jesus died on the cross for us. 
when you get born again, you look just like Jesus on the inside. You look just like Jesus. You look just like Adam and Eve before they sin. You're perfect in God's eyes. You're approved in God's eyes. And what we read the Bible for is to get our minds into alignment with what's already true about our spirit. Does that make sense so far? And I know you might hear me say that all the time, but we really got to realize we're not reading the Bible to say, "Okay, I did my duty, Lord. I read have I read enough to earn something. No, it's not about earning something. Everything's already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But what we're doing is we're renewing our minds and aligning our thinking into this grace based, love based relationship with God to understand This is what he made you. He made you more than a conqueror. He made you washed. He made you a king. He made you a prince. He made you uh, more than a a conqueror. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. He made you the head and not the tail. He made you above and not beneath. He made you that. And so we're reading the Bible to get our minds to realize what our spirit already knows. And then, of course, our body comes into alignment as your mind, your body doesn't your 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 body doesn't rule your life. Your mind rules your life. Your mind rules your body. Your body doesn't rule your mind. Your mind is in control of your of the rest of your of of the rest of you. And you might think, oh, no, my body feels this. My body feels that. Hey, our bodies feel a lot of things. We go up and down, but our mind rules our body. And what you are allowing your body to experience is really something that you've chosen or abdicated your choice or you've given up your choice. And by default, you've allowed your body to, you know, to stay broken, to stay sick, to stay you stay depressed, to stay uh, afraid. You have the tools of God's word at your disposal to fight off those thoughts, fight off those feelings and experience the victory that Jesus already paid for you to have. So our body, though, when we get to heaven, we're going to be given a new body. But what do we do about our minds? We renew it. That's why we come to church. That's why we get connected. That's why we read our Bibles to get our minds into alignment with God's word and who we already are in Christ, not to not to whip us into shape, but to get our minds into alignment with God's way of looking at us. All right. So today, as we sit with him, and we realize we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I want to talk to you about the power of the blood covenant and why this is so important for us to understand. And if I can explain it to you this way, in Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says, well, first of all, from Genesis to Revelation, there is blood shed for the sins of mankind everywhere you look in the Bible from Genesis. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves. But what did God do? He covered them with animal skin. And where did he get the animal skin from the animals? What did they do? What what did they do? What did he make sure happened with the animal? The, the, The blood of the animal was shed for the atonement of Adam and Eve's sin. And we know that because they were clothed afterwards. He put animal skin on them and an animal's blood was shed to cover their nakedness and to cover their shame and to cover their sin. And then in Exodus. So in Genesis, we see bloodshed in Exodus. We see bloodshed and and the blood of an animal. And in Exodus chapter 12, God says the, the judgment is coming to Egypt. 
and all of you that are of Abraham's seed, all of you have an opportunity to escape Egypt before the judgment comes. And so here's what I want you to do. Take an animal, take a lamb, shed its blood, because look, God is a fair God. God is a just God. There is a price for sin. Sin has to be paid for. We don't have the wherewithal to afford to pay for our sins. But there has to be life for life, blood for blood. This is how justice in the universe is established, that there has to be a price paid for our sin. We can't afford it. So what did God do? He provided animal sacrifices as the blood. I know it might sound like to 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 people who are like, oh, you should never harm an animal. Well, I mean, yes, you might be a vegetarian. You might be somebody that that doesn't believe it. But but God set it up because man's more valuable than animals. Men, women, mankind has more worth than an animal does. It doesn't mean animals don't have worth, but mankind is is who God created in his image. He didn't create dogs in his image. He didn't create cats in his image. God's not a cat. He made us in his image. So blood had to be shed. The only blood available was the blood of animals for Adam and Eve's sin. The only blood that was available was the blood of animals throughout history to pay the price or to atone for the sins of mankind. So God, in his mercy, provided forgiveness for man's sin throughout history through the animal sacrifice. So in Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says, I think around verse 14 or 15, uh, uh, where it says that God says, when I see the blood, he said, take take a lamb, offer it up, take the take the blood and put it over the doorposts. And when I see the blood, judgment will pass over you. This is called the Passover. He said, when I see the blood, whoever put blood over their doorpost, they had the atonement and they had the mercy of God because blood was shed. Now, all of that in the old covenant or the Old Testament is a shadow of or a picture of the perfect blood that would be shed one day so that never again would blood have to be shed for the sins of mankind. And the perfect blood comes from the perfect lamb after because what would happen is they had to inspect these lambs and they had to look at these lambs and they and God told them, don't offer a sick lamb, find a good, healthy lamb, inspect the lamb to make sure it's spotless and without blemish. You can read all that in the in Exodus chapter 12. Find a lamb that is spotless and without blemish, inspect it and then offer it up. And so we see coming now to Jesus life, we see that that Pontius Pilate inspected the lamb and they were to, they were to only take a lamb where the Bible says in the Old Testament, they were to only take a lamb without fault, without defect. They were to only take a lamb that was unblemished, the unblemished male you shall take from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day. Why? Because they were to be inspected for four days and Jesus 
was inspected for four days back and forth with Pontius Pilate and Herod and Pontius Pilate declared out of his mouth as the ruler on behalf of of the world's kingdom at that time. I find no fault in him. And the ruler of this world didn't even know what he was doing when he declared Jesus to be the faultless lamb who would then be offered up so that you would never have to be separated from God ever again. This is the power of the blood covenant. This is what the blood of Jesus has done. And the Bible says that in Hebrews chapter um, chapter nine, that it says in beginning in verse 14, let me just read this to you in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14, he says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 16, verse 15 says um, those who have been called for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Verse 15, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Verse 16. Watch this. And he says those who he says for those for that where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it for a covenant is valid only, only, only a covenant is valid only when the man who makes it is dead. It is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. And so when Jesus shed his blood, beloved, when Jesus shed his blood, not our sins. It wasn't just that our sins were forgiven. God established his will and his covenant towards you. And when somebody dies, they have a will and it's read this person's last will and testament. And this is what he leaves. This is what she leaves for her loved ones. Right. That's called a will. The same word for testament, which is the same word for covenant. And so when Jesus dies, he leaves a testament. He leaves a covenant. He leaves a will with a list of all of your inheritance that belongs to you now as a child of God, because his his blood was shed, not just so that you could be forgiven, but so that you could receive the inheritance of what the blood covenant provides for you. Uh, listen, I got you. <laughs> I got to tell you something. Uh, l- look over here. Let me show you what I mean by this and give you a picture of this. But um, if you look at in first Samuel, chapter 18, let's look there. First Samuel, chapter 18. So the whole Old Testament, the whole covenant is uh, a shadow and a preparation for Jesus coming as the Lamb of God. But in the Old Testament, they had to offer up an animal sacrifice once a year for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus offers himself once for all. And there is never another offering of blood that has to be made ever again. It was once and for all forgiven once and for all redeemed once and for all. And now never will God leave you or forsake you because he made a 
He swore in blood to keep all of his promises to you. He doesn't keep his promise to us because we deserve it. He keeps his promise to us because of a blood covenant that Jesus made with the father when he shed his blood for you and me on our behalf. And therefore, God blesses you. God saves you for Jesus sake. He blesses you for Jesus sake. He delivers you for Jesus sake. He redeems you for Jesus for Jesus sake. He heals you for Jesus sake, not because you did anything to earn it or deserve it, but because blood was shed, God says, for Jesus sake, on behalf of Jesus, you're forgiven. On behalf of Jesus, you're healed. On behalf of Jesus, you're redeemed. On behalf of Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. On behalf of Jesus, because his blood was shed, you are now everything that Jesus was in this earth. Listen, let me show you a picture of this, how this unfolds in first Samuel, chapter 18. So we have pictures in the old covenant. Hebrews chapter 10, verse one says the old covenant is a picture. It's a shadow of things in the new covenant. Colossians two seventeen says it's a shadow. It's a the, but the but the the person who casts the shadow is Jesus. Jesus casts this shadow he was he, he was and is and is to come. Oh, man, this is I hope you're getting this. I hope this is coming out in a way that makes sense to you. But Jesus always has existed, right? He didn't show up on Earth until 2000 years ago, but he 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 always was. He let us make man in our image. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit had this conversation with themselves. Let us make man in our image. Jesus has always existed, but he didn't come as the lamb until 2000 years ago when the time was right at his moment, at his time, when the fullness of time came, Galatians chapter four says in the fullness of time, Jesus came and became the blood sacrifice to to validate, to inaugurate, to commence this new covenant, this will, this testament, this promise this inheritance to be God's and to be his family and to have everything that he paid for you to have, to have everything that God originally intended Adam and Eve to have in the Garden of Eden. Listen, so many Christians are living below their privileges and below the below their blood bought rights. In Christ, you have the right to be saved. You have the right to be healed. You have the right to be set free. You have the right to be blessed. You have this right because God does it for Jesus sake. Because his blood was shed. So he blesses you for Jesus sake. Let me show you what I mean here in first Samuel, chapter 18. So remember now, Saul is the first king of Israel. We talked about his insecurity last week. but I want to talk about him in a different way in this in this passage of scripture, Saul is a shadow or a picture of God as king, God as father. So Saul is the first king of Israel. He has a son named Jonathan. So Jonathan is next in line to be king because the kingdom was to be passed. The tradition was that it is passed by blood. So the blood, the, the, the blood relative, the blood heir, is next in line to be king just in the in the United Kingdom in, 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 in England. You have a you have a queen who's the next in line is the next one by blood to be the king, to be the next king. It's the next one in line by blood. Saul is the king. The next one in line to be king is Jonathan, his son. 
But God has a different plan. And Jonathan here represents Jesus. So he's the son of the king. So we have Saul, who is a picture for us in this passage of the father. We have Jonathan, who's a picture of the son. He is the son of Saul. He's a picture of Jesus, the son of God. And then we have David, who is has been prophesied by Samuel that he's going to be the king. But Jonathan has the right as the son to be king, just as Jesus has. Jesus is the only one that has the right to be the son of God because he is the son of God. Are you with me? But then let's look at what happened in verse one. It says, now it came to pass when he finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan, who's the son of, of Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself. Jonathan loved David as himself. Sound like Jesus to you? Sounds like Jesus to me. I have loved you as myself. He loved him as himself. So Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan, watch this now, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. The son of the king makes a covenant with an outcast, David, who is not the son of the king. The son of the king makes a covenant with an outcast. And this son, Jonathan, strips himself of the robe that was on him. What robe? The robe from the father. It's the robe of royalty. It's the robe of him being the heir and the next king. And what does Jonathan, the son, do as a picture of what Jesus, the son of God, has done for us? While he has every right to be the only son of God, he strips himself and he puts his robe on us and makes a covenant with us and gives us the robe of righteousness. And then what does he do? He gives it to David and then he gives him his armor. Anybody ever hear about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six that's been given to us. And look at how he describes it, including his sword. So Jonathan says, I'm the rightful heir of the king. I am the rightful son of Saul. I have every right to be king, but I strip myself of it. Jesus stripped himself of his kingdom and he came to this earth as a man. He stripped himself as a man, died on the cross for our sins. And with that, he gave us his clothes, his robe of righteousness. He gave us his sword of the spirit. He gave us his bow. He gave us his belt of truth. He gave us his breastplate of righteousness. He gave us the armor of God. This is a picture of Jesus. And God is brilliant in his depiction and in his description of the savior that would come one day. And just like Jonathan made a covenant with David, Jesus has made a covenant with you. And Jonathan had every right to be king. And Jesus has every right to be the only king. But because he shed his blood for us, he has made us kings and priests. He loved us and he washed us. And he made us kings and priests. This is the picture of the blood covenant. And this is something that cannot be taken back. It cannot be broken. It is established forever. He strips himself of his robe and gives it to David with his armor, his belt, his bow, his sword. No wonder David went out in the next verse, wherever Saul sent him and prospered. No wonder he became 
ruler and leader over the whole army. You are a ruler over all that is in this earth. You rule and reign with Christ and you can go wherever God sends you and prosper. And whatever you put your hand to will prosper. And you've been given the you have been given Jesus robe. You've been given Jesus sword. You've been given Jesus belt. You've been given Jesus uh, Jesus armor. You've been given Jesus sword. And he says, now go and prosper. Now go and succeed. Now go and rule and reign because I've given you everything that I am through this blood covenant. Let me tell you what happens here. So they made a covenant and the word. The word covenant means to cut where blood flows. It's exactly what the word means. It means to cut where blood flows, because and remember when you were a kid and remember, I don't know if you if anybody here did this, but we would, you know, in the neighborhood prick each other's finger and mingle each other's, you know, mingle our fingers together in blood and say, OK, now we're blood brothers. Now, you guys are most of you are too young for that because people thought they'd die from that. But we did that when we were kids. We were that stupid when we were kids. I'm still caring about I don't want to name any names, but I'm still carrying their blood in me right now. <laughs> Why did we where do we get that from? Where where did that idea come from? Because when there's a shedding of blood, the Bible says where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 17, the life of the body is in the blood. So now we died. Listen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what does Romans 623 say? It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Death has wages. Death or sin has wages and the wages of sin is death. And what does that mean? That means because we've all sinned, we are all sentenced to death. And by being sentenced to death because of sin, there's no there's nothing we can do. We don't we don't have the wherewithal. Our blood can't cleanse our own sinful blood, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us of our sin and we're born again. The wages of sin is death. In other words, everybody dies. Everybody is spiritually dead because everybody has sinned. But the free gift of God, it's free. It's the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, I know this is a simple verse, but sometimes we look over the simplest things and we miss that there has to be a price. The wages sin has demands its wage and its wages is death. Just like when you work at the end of the week at your job, you demand a paycheck, no paycheck, no working. <laughs> right. Where there is sin, the wages is is death. The wages are death, whatever the whatever the right way to say it. The way the wages of sin is death. So the there has to be a price. We can't afford it. Jesus comes to pay it for us. And in doing so at his death, the covenant is established because he was cut where blood flowed. 
And now life, the life of Jesus pays for the wages of our sin, which is death. And look at this picture back here with Jonathan and David now. So they make this covenant. He strips himself. He gives it to David and he says, I have every right. But I'm giving it to you. Jesus says, I have I have every right to be the only true son of the king. But I strip myself and make you sons and daughters of the king. I have every right to be the only one with the sword. But I give you my sword. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. I have every right to be the only one that wears this awesome belt. But I give you the belt of truth. I'm the only one that has earned righteousness. But I give you the breastplate of righteousness. I'm the only one that deserves to be saved because I haven't sinned. But I give you the helmet of salvation so that your mind will always remember that I have crowned you with the gift of eternal life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. So now let's fast forward because this blood covenant. We need to understand. Let me let me mention real quick, because I'm trying to teach you as well as kind of preach to you. So I'm teaching and preaching. I'm preaching right now. Okay, but I want I need to give you three things that what what the blood covenant actually is and why it's so important what you're hearing right now, why it's the most important thing you'll ever hear in your life from the Bible about the Bible, because number one, the blood covenant is the subject of the entire Bible. The whole Bible is about the blood covenant. It is about the arrangement that God has made with mankind in blood to make us the joint heirs with Jesus Christ and sit us with him in heavenly places. And through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life the way Adam and Eve were supposed to reign in life. But then they sinned. We reign in life now. And even when we sin, our sin cannot break the covenant like Adam and Eve's sin did. Our sin cannot break the covenant because we didn't make the covenant. God, the father made the covenant with God, the son, the father and the son's blood mingled together. That's why Jesus was son of God and son of man. That's why he's Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God with us. That's why in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did he become flesh? Because only by becoming flesh can his blood exist. Only by becoming flesh can the blood of man and the blood of God mingle together with total perfection not from the seed of Adam, but from the seed of the Holy Spirit into the virgin womb of Eve or excuse me, of into the virgin womb of Mary, completely conceived by the Holy Spirit, had nothing to do with the sin of man. There is no sin of man in a virgin birth from the seed of the Holy Spirit. When Joseph and Mary had not ever been together, God made sure that Jesus was born of a virgin, not so we could sing about a little virgin at, on, at Christmas, but so that the blood of of God could mingle with the blood of man and be perfectly holy so that that blood could cleanse our sinful blood. His sinless blood can now cleanse our sinful blood. My God, that's what the blood covenant is. You get a hold of this, you understand everything in the Bible. 
Now you'll understand Exodus. Oh, so that's why they put blood over the doorpost. And you'll understand Hebrews. Oh, he's talking about the blood being shed and the veil being torn and us going into the presence of God without guilt, without condemnation, without judgment. Oh, so that's what Jesus meant when he said it is finished. Oh, so that's why there's blood in Genesis. There's blood in Exodus. There's blood in Leviticus. There's blood everywhere in the Bible. Why? Because there's a trail of blood coming, pointing to Jesus. And then there's a trail of blood pointing back to Jesus. Never again does blood have to be shed because he did it once and for all. And. Oh, man, we could just go through if you just if you ever if you ever want to learn how to study the Bible. Let me give you a quick tip. If you just start in Ephesians and you just read Ephesians, the Ephesians is the core of the entire Bible. It explains it all. The first three chapters are what Jesus did and what he made us to be in Christ. And then the last three chapters are how to live it out in church as a part of the body of Christ in chapter four, in family in chapter five, within the spirit realm in chapter six, uh, the spiritual armor and all Ephesians you, if, for you guys that ever have asked, what, how do I, how should I study the Bible? Study the book of Ephesians. I, I'll teach on this more and I'll get into that more. But just a little a little tidbit there, or a little tip there on how to really understand. I believe Ephesians is the core of the Bible. It says in verse two, grace to you and peace. Chapter one from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, our father, who's blessed us and, and our Lord Jesus Christ blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us as adoption to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kindness of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all he lavished. He didn't just sort of oh, fine, I'll give you a little bit. He lavished. He lavished his love and his grace and his redemption upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention. Verse 11, and we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And he goes on and talks about everything Jesus did for us. He prayed that our eyes would be opened. He didn't pray that we would somehow come into the victory. He said that our eyes would be open. He prayed that our eyes would be open to know that we have the victory, to know the hope of our calling. Put all things in subjection to his feet. Verse 21 and 22. He's far above all rule. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. Chapter two is all about we were dead in our trespasses and we were born again, raised up with him, seated with him in heavenly places. All of this is a picture to show us who we now are so that we never, ever again have to doubt ourselves when we approach God and we never again approach God on the basis of what we've done to deserve it. But we approach God on the basis of blood. Now, if I can get this across to you, let me show you something. Go to. Um, Oh, I said the blood covenant is the most important thing because it is the subject of the entire Bible. 
It is the secret of all blessing. And it is the source of all boldness. The Bible says in Hebrews 10:19, he said in Hebrews 10:19, it is only by the blood, only by the blood that we are we can come near, brethren, now that we have confidence, it says to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Boy, people are trying to enter the holy place. Religion is this the false attempts to enter the holy place. Every religion wants to enter the holy place by rules, by regulations, by you know, fixing themselves, saving themselves, confessing their way into heaven. The world is trying to enter the holy place. The world of religion is trying to enter the holy place some other way. But there's only one way to enter the holy place where God dwells. And that's by what? The blood of Jesus. That's why the blood covenant is the most important thing. And this is what gives us confidence. So why is the blood covenant so essential that we get a hold of is because, number one, it is this. It is the subject of the entire Bible. Number two, it is the secret to your entire blessing. And number three, it is the source of your entire boldness and confidence. It is the source of your confidence. This is where we get confidence from to be able to go and stand before God without guilt without shame, without inferiority, without fear, without God ever remembering our sins ever again. Oh, I can't go to him now because look at what I did. He doesn't remember it. It's already been washed. It's been paid forward by Jesus years ago, 2000 years ago. And before the world began, before the foundation of the world, God had already established the blood of my son is going to be shed for mankind because I know he's going to I know man is going to sin, but I'm going to create him anyway. I know he's going to turn for me, but I'm going to create him anyway. I know he's going to rebel against me, but I'm going to create him anyway. Why? Because he is the crown of God's creation. Man and women are the crown of God's creation. Mankind is the crown of God's creation. And he has determined predetermined before we were born and before we were even our parents idea if we ever even were our parents idea, we might have been our parents accident. But, you know, you're here because God, you were God's idea. The point is, is it's irrelevant. The fact is, is that God, God wanted you here and he knew you would be on this earth and he knew you would need a savior. So he prepared this all in advance and he showed us pictures of it from Genesis all the way up until Jesus dies on the cross. And then I got to show you this and we'll wrap this up. Go to Second Samuel, chapter nine quickly and let me catch you up to our last service and, and I'll get you get you out and on your way. But look, second Samuel, chapter nine. So Saul and Jonathan have now died in battle. David did not kill either of them. David was the next Dave, Samuel said David would be the next king. So Saul tried to kill David because he knew he needed to be king and he wanted Jonathan to be next in, as king. But Jonathan made a covenant with David, Jonathan and Saul after this. They were killed in battle. And in fact, the, the person that killed Saul, one of David's servants, David killed him when he found out he did it because David did not want to kill Saul. David trusted God. David did not try to take his kingdom. He knew he had a blood covenant. He knew it would come to him. He didn't have to take it. When you know you have a blood covenant, you don't have to try to take. God's going to give. Amen. 
Second Samuel, chapter nine. So David said now that he's king, his kingdom is established. He knows Saul and David are, or Saul and Jonathan are dead. The father and the son are dead. And now he doesn't even though Saul tried to kill David, David's not trying to get back at him. Look at what David does. Now David is in the in the role of Jesus here. Now David is in the role of God here towards us. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone left? So God says, is there anyone that I can show kindness to for Jesus sake? God says, look, my son died, but but he made a covenant with me. And now I now I am blood sworn to find whoever benefited from that covenant, whoever is in the bloodline, whoever is in the bloodline of Jonathan, I am going to show kindness to. And God is saying, whoever is in the bloodline of Jesus, whoever gets born again, whoever accepts Jesus blood is in the bloodline. And if you're in the bloodline of Jesus, he is. God is looking for you to show you kindness. He is looking for you to show you mercy. He is looking for you to show you goodness. He is looking for you not to shame you. He is looking for you not to blame you. He's looking for you not to take from you. He's looking for you to bless you with his kindness and his goodness and his mercy that are seeking to follow you all the days of your life. And why are they following you and why are they seeking you? Because of Jesus sake, God is looking to bless you for Jesus sake, the way David was looking to bless Jonathan's household for Jonathan's sake. Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. Verse three. And the king said, is there not anyone of the house of Saul? to whom I may show the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled and lame in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said, behold, he's in the house of Makar, the son of Emil in Lodabar, which means wasteland. Then King David sent and brought him from the house from Lodabar and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth thought, this guy's going to kill me. My grandfather tried to kill him. He's going to get rid of anyone who is the heir of Saul or Jonathan. That's what Mephibosheth thought. That's why Mephibosheth was on the run in Lodabar. That's why people run from God. They think God is going to hurt them. They think God's going to take from them. They think God has a bad plan for their life. How's your plan been going? (laughs) And Mephibosheth bows to him and he says, here I am, your servant. And David says, do not fear. Remember the first emotion that came into the earth after Adam and Eve sin, fear. It's the first thing that Jesus dealt with when he came, fear. The first thing the shepherds said when the angel said to the shepherds, fear not. First thing the angel said to Mary, fear not. First thing the angel said to Elizabeth, fear not. First thing that angel said to Zechariah, fear not, fear not. First thing the angel said to Joseph, fear not. The first thing that came into the earth was fear after Adam and Eve sin. The first thing that Jesus deals with is fear. And he says, fear not. I found you. And he said, do not be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, 
Jonathan. Why? Because Jonathan made a covenant with David. And the two of them swore we will take care of each other's household and each other's family if one of us dies. And when Jesus died, the father said, I'm going to show you kindness for Jesus sake. And what did he say? And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Regularly. This is not an on and off relationship he offers to us. We are not we don't come and go because we feel good about ourselves and we don't feel good about ourselves. So we until we feel better about ourselves, till we confessed enough, till we've repented enough, till we change. No, we eat at the table regularly. We're seated at the table regularly. We are seated with him. He looked and found us, sought us came and said on behalf and the father said on behalf of my son, on behalf of Jesus, from now on, I'm going to show you kindness for Jesus sake and I'm going to restore to you everything that you should have had and I'm going to and you're going to eat at my table regularly. And then he fell and said, what? Why would you do this for a dead dog like me? Because there's something we need to understand about Mephibosheth is he's like he's like us before we're saved. He, he was deformed crippled by being dropped as they were trying to escape because they were afraid of being killed. Mephibosheth is just like us. He was deformed. You know how many know that God forms us. Sin deforms us. The world conforms us. But then Jesus transforms us. God forms us. Sin deforms us. The world conforms us. But Jesus transforms us. Mephibosheth is like us. He came deformed. He came dethroned. He doesn't have the throne. David does. And he came sentenced to death. And what does Jesus do? What does David do? He finds him. He brings him home. What does Jesus do? He seeks and saves the lost. He finds us. He brings us home. And what does he say? I will restore you. And the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, all that belong to Saul and his house. I give to Mephibosheth all of it. You and your sons and your servants, he goes on to say, you and your sons and your servants, he says, you cultivate the land for him. How many know that <laughs> we get to sit at the table while our words go and cultivate the land for us, while our words serve us? We speak God's word. We pray. We believe God. Those things are in the atmosphere serving you and cultivating the land. And you'll bring the produce for your master's grandson, that he may always have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table. And God is giving us a picture here. And God is saying to you and me. I found you. 
I crowned you. And I seated you with me at my table for the rest of your life into eternity because of my kindness, because of my covenant, because it was sworn in blood. And listen, when you get a hold of this, when Mephibosheth, when when David found Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth found four things. And this will end today's service. When 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 David found Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth found four things. He found, number one, the king's forgiveness. He found, number two, the king's fellowship. He found, number three, the king's fortune. Restore to him everything, give him back everything. And fourth, he found the king's family. When David found Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth found the king's forgiveness. He found the king's fellowship. He found the king's fortune and he found the king's family. Listen. God found you. And when he found you, he gave you these four things. He gave you the king's forgiveness. He gave you the king's fellowship. He gave you the king's fortune and he puts you in the king's family. And you'll never be separated from him or be without him again. That's the blood covenant. That's the power of the blood covenant. Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that powerful message. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast for more amazing messages like what you just heard. You can also search for Gregory Dickow on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for tons of great content throughout the week.